Hey everyone, Liv here. Welcome back to My Gay Playlist. This is the last episode of our second season. So we're going to be back in a few weeks to bring you some more content. But in the meantime, this week we have on trans singer, songwriter, and overall awesome human being, Ash Harris, who performs as Acoustic Ash. Ash is a Detroit-based musician that I met when I was on tour. I love chatting with them. They are so positive, loving, and kind. And we just had a great chat. I'm going to give you a content warning. We do discuss some topics that are sensitive to some listeners, such as suicide and depression. So I'm throwing that out there for you if you're listening, and that is a little too much for you. We hope you stick around for this episode. Welcome to My Gay Playlist and Stories from Outside the Closet. My name is Liv Lombardi, and I am your host. This is a podcast about coming out and the music that inspires our journeys. To me, coming out is an act of honesty. It's something that we do every day when we decide to live our lives as authentically as possible. Where are my dreamers at? Where are my freaks and geeks and weirdos and losers and nerds? If you were ever told you don't have a place here, I'm saying this table is set for you. So take a seat and tell me about it. And we'll start with this. What are your stories and what are your songs? If you want to follow along and listen to each guest's particular gay playlist as you stream our episodes, head over to mygayplaylist.com. There you'll find each episode's corresponding song list. Until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, so Acoustic Ash is here. We're also joined by Ozzy, the most adorable dog in the entire world. Holy crap, so cute. And so, dude, how have things been? You're you live outside of Detroit. When I met you, we were in proper Detroit. But yeah, you we don't... were in in the D. Yeah, in the D. In the D. In the D. Um, we actually live still really close. We're only like a 10-15 minute drive out of the D. Cool. You and you you and your wife, right? Correct. So, where we live is called East Point, but okay. it actually used to be called East Detroit. Oh, so name change. That's the only thing. Yeah, okay. literally the only thing, <laughs> you know. So what I love about the conversations like this is, you know, a lot of times there's people on the show that I have complete strangers, which are fun chats, but also a lot of people that I've played shows with that I know friends of mine. And so I get very nostalgic. I've been like going through waves of nostalgia because I was thinking about the night that I met you was when we played that show at PJ's in in Detroit. And, you know, that was the first time I ever played in Detroit. And that tour was really special for me because I had just put out Freedom Girl, which is my last album, and all of the shows I was playing on that tour. It was the first time I felt like I was matched with people that were exceptional. Like I was playing shows every night with other artists and songwriters that were really freaking good that just like took my breath away it seemed like you got to play with i like to call them like the feel artists because they're the ones that you don't just like watch you feel what they like you can just feel what they say and it's like one of those feelings where even if it's not a lyric it's like a lyrical line or it's a melody it's something just pulls you in and you get like sucked into this wave and you just you can't help but feel Mm. what you're hearing it's like if if you had no sight you would still feel everything you were just feeling 
Exactly. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And that's a perfect, that's a perfect lead in here to, I remember when we loaded in and you walked in and you had your guitar over your shoulder, like you do now. Like every time <laughs> I see you, you have this, your little tail, is that a tailor? So I, I used to use this tiny Martin, which, the you, Martin, which is the one right. you'll be talking about this mm-hmm. little, the little Ed Sheeran type Martin. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I played the crap out of that thing to the point where now I cannot get it to stay in tune at all. Oh, really? <laughs> but because it's like one of the mini Martins, you know, like really it's easier to go and buy a new one than it is to try and you'll spend more fixing it up to make it stay where it needs to be. Right. Than you will to just buy a new one. Um, but my father-in-law actually gifted me this beautiful tailor that has like the finish over the top. Fun story to that. When we got married, he gifted us a 12-string tailor. 18 months after we'd been married, he was like, hey, I want to trade you that tailor for this six-string Martin. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. And then he, he calls us up and he's like, hey, I've been thinking about it. I think I want to play the Martin. I'm going to trade you guys for the tailor. I'm like, the tailor you just bought that's like four five grand you just want to trade yeah yeah, for yeah the yeah. one that, that was like four cool yeah doesn't make let's, sense let's do okay. it yeah it's fine um, by me i mean you know whatever you want to do whatever you want to do ron it's fine by me <laughs> um okay so ash let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about this playlist of yours i was psyched to get it and not also i'm gonna say not surprised because if anyone that listens to this podcast hasn't heard your music before well they might have because we featured your song in a, in a previous episode in season one and i believe it's the first song on your playlist fall to your knees we put that at the yeah. end of one of our i forget which episode but in season one there's a lot of tracy chapman on your playlist which i'm not surprised about because i remember Okay, going back again to the first night we met and we played that show, it was a very um, meaningful night for me, not just because like what I was saying, like who I played with and just the feeling of that tour. But I remember seeing you play. And from the second you started singing, I was like, holy shit, this human being's voice and soul is unlike anything I've ever heard before reminded me of that feeling that I got the first time I ever heard fast car by Tracy Chapman when I heard you sing for the first time, but it, it, but I don't want to compare you to her because <laughs> you have your own thing. It's very much your sound and like the timbre of your voice and the way that you, you know, you move, you move the lyrical lines and it, it's very much you, but I could see how, Possibly, there's a lot of Tracy Chapman influence in maybe. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I'm not off base there. Yeah. Tracy Chapman is the sole reason I picked up a guitar. I would sing all these songs to myself all the time, and I had nothing that I could do it to. I'm like, yeah, it's great. I can sing these songs in my head all day, but I also, I also didn't sound like every other singer that I heard sing, mm-hmm. and so I was like. Maybe I'm, maybe this isn't like what I'm supposed to do. And then I found Tracy, really found Tracy. Like I actually, um, someone had given me like when the MP3s first came out, you know, they had made me this like huge disc MP3 that had every single song in the catalog. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with the songs that weren't popular and some of the songs that were. 
but um, I think I put this time on the playlist somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's the third song. So that is not one of her very popular ones. It is one of my all-time ever favorite songs. Yeah. There is something about, there's this movement where the bass line kind of comes, and it's, it's very Tracy. Like the bass line kind of comes in as a melody instead of like a bass. Yeah. And then this sweet looping melody comes over the top. And then this violin part like comes in and it literally feels like there are waves traveling through you at that point. Like when I said musicians, you feel that song. If you just lie there, like with candles on the lights out, you can literally ride each melodic wave separately. And at the same time, it's crazy. I love that. You know, I had actually never heard this Tracy Chapman song before I went through your playlist. So I'm curious to know. And so we'll just jump in. What about this song? What brought it to your playlist? So, you know, I have every guest make a playlist. It speaks to their coming out story. And I think I told you earlier today when you were working on it, like, I wanted you to make a playlist that speaks to your coming out story, whatever that means to you. This song right. is the third one in your playlist. What, what about that sort of transcendence of lyrical lines and melody and bass that that brings you to that place? Where does that where do the where does the feeling of that bring you in memories of your life? Does that make sense? I'm curious to know. Totally, totally. And um, and this is gonna be very it's gonna be a trait to walk through the playlist. Mm-hmm. So there are certain tracks in there, including this one, that when you feel a song so deeply, you leave your surroundings completely. Mm-hmm. It's almost like this set of earphones that you put on that cancel out the outside noise, but you don't have to put anything on your ears. You literally hear it and you cannot physically come back into that space at that point. Like you are away. Mm. And it's funny because that kind of became what the stage is for me. Like, and we spoke about it a couple of times, but like, I get really bad social anxiety. Like I'm not good in a group of people. I don't know. I'm good. Like when I make a connection with someone, like I made a connection with you that night, like we spoke, it was great. We hugged like, and so I'm not always that comfortable. Basically like it's the exact same feeling I get on stage where Everything else drops away. And with that song especially, it's all about like for once loving yourself enough and not compromising yourself, not showing all of your vulnerabilities, like just taking that time to find yourself first. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because, I mean, you know, I'm not shy about my story. Like I, I came out first. I had always been labeled as a lesbian. It's it's all I knew. Like from the time you were younger, growing up? Yeah, so all I knew from growing up was that I really liked girls and I really liked to wear trousers. Like that, that's all I knew. I had, I had never heard of the, of the name trans. I had never seen anybody that was trans. I never knew it was a thing. Right. Until, I mean, sheltered or what, but until probably around 18, 19 was mm-hmm. when I really started to hear more. And I, at that point, I, you know, I had, I had stumbled across uh, transvestite women. I had, I had stumbled across transsexual women, but I had never heard of female to male. Mm-hmm. I, I had never known that was a thing. And I read this book called Becoming Bobby. Mm-hmm. And my world kind of went. <sighs> so I was like, holy shit. But I read that book and it basically went through the story about 
you know, this person discovering themselves. And uh, I remember thinking, well, holy crap, this all makes sense now. Because I never felt, I never felt like I really fitted into this category because I didn't see myself as a girl. So I was like, I, I don't feel like I fit in this group where I'm being called a lesbian because I don't feel like a lesbian. I don't feel like a girl. Right. And then it's funny because I say about this song about, you know, taking the time to love yourself and not just not compromise your truth. And before I met Katie, I had taken that time. And I was like, the next time I am putting myself first, like I am making sure that I am happy in my true self. And Katie is known from day one. That I, I, I identify as male. I go by they, they, them because I have to make a choice. Do I continue to do music and sing or do I go through and begin the process of transitioning? And we spoke to a lot of specialists. And the fact is, I might be able to sing if I was to transition, but I might not. Right. Because hormone hormone therapy really does, the voice is one of the first things that changes, right? Correct. Like, it changes everything, including the vocal cords. And it, it can damage vocal cords. Like, by all means, if you're in the place, and, and this is the most important thing to me, if you're in the place where transitioning is going to save your life more than singing and playing your guitar, then transition. Mm. But if you're in the space where I am, and that is where music saved my life many a time, I can't do that right now. For me, I am like, this has to come first right now. 100%. Yeah, But there is going to come a time in my life when my arthritic hands do not like to do this anymore. And when I'm ready and I've written enough words down where I feel like I've made the difference that this allows me to make, Mm -hmm. that I can take those steps. But for right now, this is more important. Wow. Ash, that's so special. I, I, I think I knew... A little bit of that, of that part of your story, but to hear you say it and to just to see your face and how, I mean, clearly this is at the core of who you are. This is hundred percent. This is this is important to you, music, but also to stand in the truth of your identity. And I, I'm just curious, and 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 we don't have to, and I don't, I don't want to push too hard on on it if it's a tender spot. But does that conflict to choose, you know, between? maybe having your body more physically match how you feel in your heart and the decision to maybe not do that right now because you need to sing and and you want to be able to play and pursue music in the way that you are. Does that conflict ever become, I don't know, confusing or is there a struggle there? Or have you found peace with knowing like, this is where I am now and someday soon or in the future, I will reach a point where it will change. And I'll get to that point when I get to it. I think that taking that, like I said, taking that time before I met Katie, taking that time meant that I don't have a wife that treats me like a wife. I have a wife that treats me as their husband, mm-hmm. that loves me as their husband and knows my truth. Mm-hmm. I told all of my family and they were 
my family are like the most accepting people you'll ever meet. It's it's kind of ridiculous at this point, honestly. My dad did once tell me, he was like, you can be anything you want to be in the world except except a vegan because I need you to like bacon. And I was like, okay, dad. <laughs> oh my gosh. How lovely. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I can't give up bacon sandwiches anyway, so it's fine. But so like, they're awesome. And, you know, I think that I'm just at the stage where I'm so comfortable in my own self. Mm. I work somewhere now that totally respect all of that as well. That's amazing. They don't just respect it, but they promote like acceptance of just every, like, that's so awesome, honestly. Um and I haven't had that in a role before, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've had the jobs where it's like people like, oh, but I don't get it because like, why? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, why did you open your eyes this morning? Like, it's the same thing, right? You just live. <laughs> exactly. Um, so for me, like, I suppose there would be more conflict inwardly if A, I didn't come to peace with everything myself. Mm. I know that it's a, it's different for everybody. And so I can't speak for everybody because we all have our own journeys and our own tipping points and, you know, the soft spots that people can hit that set a trigger. Um, but like, for me, I don't, I, people ask me a lot of time, like, don't you get upset when people like call you she? And I'm like, how can I, I can't get upset at that right now. Like people see me and they clearly see a female body. Mm-hmm. And if they see that and they address that, how is it my place to be mad at them for it? I can tell them how I prefer to be addressed, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to get mad at somebody who doesn't know. Right. And then is like, so somebody's saying, oh my God, your music's so beautiful. Have you heard her? She's great. And I'm like, I'm not going to get mad at you for that. Like when I see you in person, I'm going to let you know, but I'm not about to post this online through a comments thread. Or have somebody come in and attack you because of how I identify. Like, that's me. And I am proud of being myself. But there's a fine line between, there's a fine line between promoting acceptance and making sure that you do respect yourself enough to have people address you correctly. There's a fine line between that and causing a divide. If someone's intention is to be nice to you, someone's intention, they've gone out of their way to come and tell you that you've done something for them that made a difference in their day. I'm not going to publicly make you feel like crap for that. If it comes from a place of unawareness, you're saying. Right. As opposed to purposefully being like, oh no, like clearly you're clearly you're a girl. So that's what I'm going to call you. That That's a different thing. And right. I, completely I, different. And at that mm-hmm. point, at that point, we will unleash the keyboard warrior. But yeah. <laughs> and it's on. But like, I'm, I'm always from a place and, you know, I'm a ridiculous empath. We both know that. But I always come from that place of wanting to believe that the first thing that comes out is from a place of good intent. Mm-hmm. And unless you show me that it wasn't, why would I want to break someone's spirits like that? Yeah. So yeah. like, I, I, I don't have that in a conflict with it because music has literally saved my life so many times. Like when you just hit that spot and you're like, I don't know if I can do tomorrow. And then it's always the frigging Martin. You pick up the Martin, that vibration comes backwards and it's like, okay, 
let me use my journal that's sitting right here around my neck to get this out and find a way out of this. Mm-hmm. And if, if I didn't do this, I don't know where I would be. You've said that music has saved your life. Yeah. You've said that, you know, you, you want to connect to this feeling space, which I love the way you put that. When did you first start playing and singing? Has it, was it always around in your house? Was it something that was always happening in? No. <laughs> just very uniquely, you sort of a, a, were attracted to, attracted to music or singing. So my parents both loved music. My mom loved to listen to music and she would sing. It's like, she would sing, but not like, not to do anything with, you know, she just right. would sing to herself, whatever. Mm-hmm. My dad sounds just like Buddy Holly. Like it's ridiculous really? how much he sounds like Buddy Holly. I love that. And me and my dad actually wrote a song together years ago, a long time ago now. My dad was more musical than my mom, but there was always music playing, but nobody played okay. music. Like my dad would sing. My mom was saying to herself, nobody played an instrument. Like it was just, it just was what it was. And so, like I said, I would sing and I would write songs all the time. Like I'd have these melodies in my head and I would like write these song lyrics down. I'd like sing them to myself like a weirdo in my bedroom with no instrument. <laughs> and then I heard Tracy Chapman and I was like, maybe I should, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should play a guitar. And my dad bought me my first guitar. My dad bought me my first guitar. Well, my parents bought me like a shitty $100 guitar when I was Oh, like this 12. guitar was dog shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then when I started really getting serious about playing, my dad bought me my first. I still have it. This one that's you could see behind me. He bought me that guitar. He's like, if that's one you really want. You feel inspired. I'm going to get it for you. I was like, dad, I love you. I still think about that. Vice versa. My dad got me my first piece of shit guitar that I loved. It was from a secondhand store. And it was just my first ever guitar, right? And so, that's all you need to learn on. Right? You know, that's what that's all you need. You don't need. I, I hear people talking all the time about how they need like a fancy guitar to play. I'm like, you do not. No, you just need something that can get you used to the fact your fingers are going to hurt for at least the first six months. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when you get past that and shapes, then you can start to think. When I finally decided that I was gonna take this seriously and go to university, my mom bought me my first Martin. Oh, nice. And. That guitar saw me through uni almost all the way. And uh, in my final year, nobody confessed, but somebody stood on it at my sister's house. No. And uh, yeah, and the neck, like literally the, the back body like came away. And I was like devastated. That's and Katie's dad actually had someone fix the guitar for me. So I still have it. I actually still have the guitar. I will never dare to play it anywhere in case it ever broke again. It's just like ornamental or yeah, nostalgic. Exactly. That really hit home with writing, like Mm -hmm. really writing, like going deep and writing because it gave me that Martin talk, like that vibration from the Martin just unleashed something that I had been trying to get out. Mm -hmm. And it made me, when I say music saved my life, I mean, it, it did. Like I was in the darkest of places and just being able, I've never been someone that can sit and talk through stuff because I get too emotional and then I kind of shut down. Right. Like the intention is to, yeah, talk about it all, but then I feel like, oh my God, I told you too much. And I've got to reel it all back in right now and stop. So when I, when I write it in a song and Katie laughs at me anytime I'm writing a song because 
even if it's a happy song for probably the first 10 times of playing it, I'm in tears. And I have no idea why, but every freaking song. And my mom, like, I call my mom still to show when I write a new song. And I, the first, like, five minutes to be good, I can't do it. Just, Wait, so you'll I, write a song and then start to cry when you play for someone? When I'm writing it, even. Like, the whole process, I am so emotional. You will never hear a song that I have written played unless I've played it, like, ten times, probably, because... Ash, I love that. I, like, I feel it too much. I love that. Music, my songs, my writing, like, it, it's an extension of you, right? Like, it's... Mm-hmm. When, when you feel the music, when you're... I like to call those truth speakers because when you can't just write songs for the shits and giggles, of it, I can write them for someone else all day. And they mean, Jack, give me a beat. I'll write you a song. Give me a few chords. I'll write you a song. I'll, I'll, I'll lyricize for you. I'll give you some melodies, whatever. I don't care. But if you want me to write a song, give me a second. <laughs> yeah. Cause I got to get myself in check. I'm going to need a room where nobody can see me for a while. <laughs> and then I'll bring it back to you. <laughs> Dark roads ahead Barely live, we walk on anyway Demons in your head Call out loud, I beg you not to listen It doesn't make you weak and we can still be free The comfort that you seek Yes, we can still be free Just fall to your knees So let's talk about fall to your knees. Where where does this, this is the first song in your playlist. It's an original by you. Love this tune. We featured it, you know, like I had said earlier in um, a previous episode of our of our show. Where where is this song coming from in your life? I, I want kind of kind of want to know a little bit more about it. I wrote this song to raise money for the Trevor Project. Oh, word. which is um, for anybody who doesn't know, it's a charity that support. It's like a crisis line for LGBTQI youth. I actually put a video up on my Facebook when I released the song. One in three transgender youths will try to take their life before the age of 16. Mm. And that that was like eye-opening and awakening to the point where I was like, how is that a statistic now? Like now that we're supposed to have taken so many steps forward. Right. How is this still a statistic? And like, you know, you hear about all different charities out there for mental health and it's fantastic. It's fantastic. But like, I do feel like youth get overlooked a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I have lost adults to suicide, but I also lost people before I even turned 15 to suicide. So I I often find myself wondering what would they be doing now? Mm. What impact could they be having now on other people if they had survived? Yeah. So I was like, this is a chance 
to make a difference, right? Like, yeah. So I spoke to the guy that's recording my album, and um, he said to me that uh, he would record this for free, as so that any profits that come from the song will go directly to the Trevor Project. So whenever I play live and people ask, "Hey, do you have anything online that we can like buy, whatever?" Uh, this is the song that I encourage people mostly to go listen to or buy because, you know, you know yourself as an artist, you know, you don't get paid much for the streams. Oh, no. And unfortunately... Unless you're getting hundreds of millions of them, but even still, it's like not right. as much of it as it should be, right? No point. No, 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 one percent. But so I encourage people, if they're going to do it, then to try and purchase the song because that's where you get the most profit out of the song. So far, it has not... I'll be honest, it has not raised a lot of money so far because it's mostly streamed because I'm not some huge global star. But it is going to be on the album. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to take a percentage of every album that does get sold and donate that. So I'm super psyched about that part. Um, and can you tell a little bit about what the Trevor Project does? They were started um, in... They were... St- just can you can you tell a little bit about what the Trevor Project does? If anyone's listening and they don't and they aren't aware of this amazing organization, they do they do a lot. Um, but the the main thing that they offer is this crisis line where people can call in and they can speak to someone without judgment, and they can. It's basically a place that they can find support mm-hmm. and like minded people because not everybody is as fortunate to have families like you and I. Mm-hmm. Not everybody gets that lucky, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and so it's a place that they can not only get help right then, but they can source resources with trans acceptance and trans rights, even though we're still a long way away from where we need to be. It still isn't something that's spoken about as much in England. People like to apply the labels of lesbian, gay, bisexual. Pansexual is just about becoming a thing that people speak about a bit more. Mm-hmm. But what we did have that was super helpful was we actually had LGBTQI youth groups. You could go there from the age of 13 upwards. You could go to this youth group once a week, every week. And there were trained social workers that ran this group. And so you were in a space with people going through similar struggles and similar experiences and and joys and celebrations, like, you know, it's not all miserable, mm-hmm. but it was a safe space. It was a safe space that if you had a crappy week, you could go in that day and there were people in that room that got it. Mm-hmm. 100% got it. And, you know, I've always been, <laughs> I've always been a bit of a warrior. Like, I, I like to look after people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I first came out when I was like 12. Really? Yeah. And uh, and then I ended up move, moving schools when I was like fourteen or fifteen. And on the first day, somebody was like, "Hey, are you gay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I guess so." <laughs> and they were like, "Cool." I was like, "Cool." And we stayed friends throughout. Like we're still friends now. We don't see each other, speak to each other that much. But anytime I could message him, and he'd be like, "Hey, what's up?" Yeah, exactly. But again, just no. No judgment. And in that school, in both schools, I became known as someone that would defend people that couldn't always defend themselves. I've always been just this person that doesn't like to see injustice. The growth of music 
definitely encouraged a growth in me because there are two ways to deal with injustice. You can rise up and fight it the way it's fighting, or you can use your platform to make a difference and stop it at the core. And when I was younger, I would try and, you know, hit it head on. You know, if I saw someone push a kid down because they were smaller, I'd pick him up, put him in a locker and walk off. You know, that kind of thing. Like, (laughs) I'm like, hey, don't be an asshole. The great protector. I love that. Basically what I was. (laughs) Again, I'd said to you earlier, there's that fine line. There's that fine line between promoting acceptance or causing further segregation. And you have to find the right line. Mm -hmm. If I can use my platform to make someone stop and think and process their actions or process their surroundings and make a different choice, Mm. that's way more effective than putting them in a locker. Yeah, totally. To me, sounds like such a kind and loving way to approach the world. Patient. It's a patient way to approach the world. I I think that's where we have to get to, though, right? And this is the thing that people need to understand. You're allowed to feel your frustrations. You have to feel them. Mm. Process them before you respond. If only it were that easy for many. Feel it. Accept it. Rationalize why it might be happening. And then react in a way that someone isn't going to spit in your drink. I mean, come on. (laughs) But yeah, I just, you know, I'd love to be more patient in every aspect of my life. So Ash, we just have a little bit more time and I want to talk about maybe one more, uh, some more of these songs. Okay. Before we, I'm going to ask you your last pick, but quickly, you have returned to Innocence by Enigma as the last song in your playlist. Yes. I love this song. Like yes. in a way that I can't describe with words. I just feel it. And maybe that's the theme of our chat. Why did you choose to end your playlist with this song by Enigma? What what significance does it hold to you? Like, how can you listen to that song and not just feel? And like, when I hear that song, I literally feel like I am at one with the very foundations of the earth. Mm. Mm-hmm. That song has that pull. And I don't know whether it's the chanting. I don't know whether it's that smooth, like just transition of the music in the background or what it is. But I have never come across a song that makes you feel so at one with just the earth. Yeah. Like that's just what it is. It does have that. Yes, I can hear it in my head. It just makes me want to. Oh, I love that song so much. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. The drums, when like the percussion comes in, you know, it's just like, yes, the heartbeat. Yes. Yes. Well, of course. So, okay, what's your last pick? We're going to talk about one more song on here. What's your last pick for on your playlist? I don't even know how to put it in a pick because I think, like I said, there's a general theme across these songs. But one of the things that's that's really poignant is that if you look at probably eight out of those songs, I'd mm-hmm. say probably eight, mm-hmm. they are all songs where people were brave enough to stand up for what they believed in to make change. Across the lines, change gone come. Yeah. Talking about a revolution. What's going on? Marvin Gaye, yes. Yeah, what's going on, Marvin Gaye? The songs where people took a stand for what they believed in and needed to change. I'm running up that hill. 
uh, that one's the other side of it. Like there are two sides of my music, and I think I think you've kind of, we've kind of touched on this really. One is that voice that leads change. Like that's what I want to do with my music is change the world. <laughs> Mm-hmm. not like it's small feet or anything but you know and I, I when people say change the world i think that people envisage someone like being superman and like literally flying around changing the world but that that isn't what it is to me if you can spark a change in one person you're changing the world yeah mm-hmm. because that one person is going to act differently and they're changing the world it's those comments you said like you get after a gig where someone's like this song changed my life or yes you know this i was and I've had those moments too. Someone comes up to me and they're like, you know, I, I've been listening to, I, I saw you play and I've been listening to your music. And this one song really helped me through this moment in my life, X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. hundred percent. That changes because you're something that's true for you is you're reaching out, you're putting it out into the world and it's going into someone else's experience and they're using it to overcome whatever that might mean. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. And that, that's what it is. Like, so there's that side and that's all of those people. Right. And then there's the other side with running up that hill is basically the song, um, by placebo about, well, it's not by placebo. It's that cover of the song, but I like mm-hmm. that version. And I, you know, I lost a lot of people very early in my life. I've lost a lot of people in my life. And so for that song, it's like those moments, I guess, of reflection where it's like, like I said to you before, like, what would you be doing if you were still here now? If I could trade places with you, like, what would you be doing? And so, you know, you're never going to be in that position. Even if you're at the very depths of of depression and you're at the point of contemplating those, those steps, it won't bring that person back. Mm -hmm. It just takes you away from other people. Yeah. And it's a very hard place to, to get through sometimes but one of the things that has always been a stepping stone for me to come back down from the ledge is that i can't actually bring you back mm-hmm. and why would I, I can't do to other people what this did to me like i can't do this right and it's like the step off the ledge like my nephew is my step off the ledge every time what's his you name know? frederick Frederick. Frederick, yeah. You talked to me about Frederick. Before. Best friend in the whole world. What a guy. It's great when you get to tell people that in a gig. My best friend in the world is eight years old. It's not weird. He's my nephew. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Okay, Ash, uh, to end our chat, I ask the same question every episode. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, knowing what you know now from the life that you lived and the wisdom that you gained from your own experience, what would it be? You're not broken. You're just different. That's it. I love that. I could tell myself a million motivational things, but I I didn't need to be motivated back then. I just always thought something was wrong with me. It's not, you're not broken. You're just different. That's fine. Hell yeah. And you know, what might even be better than that advice is the just utter assurity that you said it was like, this is your truth. You're not broken. You're just different. And then mic drop, drop that mic, yeah. drop it, <laughs> Boom. drop it down. Booms. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> Ash, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your big heart with us. I love chatting with you, whether it's about music, guitars, or anything in between. If you're listening and you want to support Ash's music, please go stream their songs, buy their album. 
You can find their stuff online. And if you're new to My Gay Playlist, we are at the end of our second season. So we're going to be taking a couple weeks off to regroup, record some new episodes for you. In the meantime, feel free to browse our catalogs of season one and two and catch up on some awesome chats that you might have missed. Until then, take care of yourself and we'll see you next time. This show was created by yours truly, Liv Lombardi, that's me, and Courtney Ortel, and co-produced by Virago Artist Management with additional support from Hannah Varnum. Music by yours truly once again, Liv Lombardi. As always, thank you for your ears and your hearts. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, write a review, and share with your friends. Until then, be kind to yourself and gentle. I hope you have a good week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.